The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Kind of a special edition uh, Today, as we look back at 2021 with our panel of political pundits, our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, good morning. Good morning. 
Good to be here. On the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning. Welcome to you. Uh, good morning, Tom. Hey, and Henry, I want to thank you. I got a very nice card from you and a donation for the show, and, and you're always so gracious, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I, I, Tom, I can say nothing but great things about the show. I've, you've had some wonderful guests. I've enjoyed all of them. They've inspired me. They've supported me. Um, and uh, even with my um, sometimes adverse perspective on issues. But I appreciate the show, and I appreciate your guests. And last but, last but not least, yeah. speaking of guests on the show, a recent guest and the author of American Schism, Seth David Radwell, is uh, joining the roundtable this week. Seth, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Good morning. And good morning to Paul and Henry as well. Pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. Good morning, sir. Seth, I breathed, I breathed such a sigh of relief when I heard your voice because I was fumbling a couple calls at the same time and I was afraid maybe the transfer didn't go right. But, uh, but welcome as always. And we start out Armchair Politics each week. It's going to be a little different today, a little, I don't want to say less structured, but structured differently uh, because we're going to be looking back at some of the big stories from 2021. But we always start out with a few quotes, and including the, the finish the quote that we start with each week. And today, um, I will be asking you how you would finish this quote. Christmas is a season not only of rejoicing, but of what? Hmm. Making merry. Making money. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say resurgence or rebuilding or something like that. Well, it's uh, the original quote is, Christmas is a season not only of rejoicing, but of reflection. Ah. Uh, yeah. Although I liked Henry's answers, but um, <laughs> who, who do you think said that? Mm. A comedian from the 30s. Um, <laughs> who, whose name escapes me? Well, it's it, it. I suppose it depends on how you look at it. It was actually Winston Churchill. Oh, oh yes. Um, I I don't know if you'd consider him a, a comedian, but certainly a humorist <laughs> at times. Yeah, he he had yeah. an element to him. One of my like, favorites. Not a, not a stand-up comedian as such, but you could say some very funny things occasionally. Mm. Well, one of the quotes that got my attention this week, and we'll we'll talk about a couple of uh, of recent quotes, and then uh, after we go to break, we'll come back and talk about. I came across a, a piece online that listed 38 big events that happened in the first 100 days of 2021. Mm, wow. <laughs> and so I thought we'd talk about the first 100 days of 2021. We'll also talk about Seth's seven. Um, and, and I think there's going to be some overlap in that, and there are some other things that we'll talk about, some of the people we lost this last year and so on. But uh, one of the quotes that got my attention is, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for the unvaccinated for themselves, their families, and the hospitals, they'll soon overwhelm. Either That's Joe Biden or Gretchen Whitmer within the last day or so. I'm not sure which one, though. Dr. Fauci? 
No, Dr. Fauci would have been my guess, I think. Um, <clears throat> Seth, what did you chime in there? I, I, I'm, I would, I would <coughs> guess it was, it was um, uh, Christine Whitmore. I have, but I'm not sure. Oh, Gre was, Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, I mean Gretchen uh, Whitmore. I'm yeah, sorry. Gretchen yeah, Whitmore. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. No, it was in fact, it was in fact President Joe Biden on Thursday warning people who are not vaccinated against COVID-19 that they are looking at a very bleak and dangerous winter if they do not get their shots soon. But there's good news. He said if you're vaccinated and you have your booster shot, you're protected from severe illness and death. The president added. But are people listening to the president's warning, or Governor Whitmer's, or Dr. Fauci's? It sure doesn't no, sound I, like it. I mean, I, I, I think people are exercising their choices. They're doing what they want to do, based on what our Constitution allows them to. I, you know, I think what, what amazes me is that we, we, when we're home, we're watching a lot more news on television than usual, and it seems like every hour... There is somebody reminding you to get your vaccination. That's been going on for mm -hmm. much of the year, and yet there still seems to be so much resistance on, you know, approximately 20% or a third of the population. So I, I kind of shake my head, but I, I really wonder whether one more pitch from the governor or president is going to make all that much difference. And, and I don't think it's always resolved down to politics. It's what people want to do, and, and they seem very resistant. Seth, I have started, all of my shots, I, Seth, and I, started I tell you publicly that I have mine. Same here. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, as as I've said many times, who am I to turn down a double shot? <laughs> and, and I, very good. I, I, I even went for the chaser. So, <laughs> yeah. Seth, but I'm you, looking forward to it. Seth, you started to uh, weigh in. Well, my sense is that it's, it's, we're, it's a very difficult time in the following sense. I think it's pretty clear that a vaccine, the vaccines help prevent against, a bit, against serious disease. But we've, people who followed the guidelines, who've worn masks and who've gotten vaccines, here we are, you know, over a year and a half later, and we're, it seems like the, the um, pandemic is worse than ever. I'm in New York, and the infection rate has gone crazy. I just walked down the street here, and the lines to get tested are around the block because people are trying to get tested before, I guess, they go see their holiday, their, their Christmas family, their family for Christmas or the holidays. But it, it feels like we're back to square one. And that's, I think, what's frustrating to people. True. Very true. But, Seth, I think they've had the choice to get those, those, those uh, vaccinations. So this should, they this have, should, we should I, not be in a crisis. Correct. I mean, I have, I, I've gotten mine and my booster. But I wonder uh, if I, I just wonder to what degree the uh, this Omicron variant uh, again after having gone through Delta makes it feel like it's almost like a learned behavior. Whatever we seem to do isn't helping from the overall uh, wave of infection. Even though I think to your point, Harry, people who are vaccinated are doing much better. It's pretty clear that most of the people in the hospitals are unvaccinated. Are we gonna? Uh since you're since you're in New York, you can you can be our uh, our eyes and ears in the Big Apple. Do you, Seth? Do you think uh, are we going to see the ball drop on New Year's Eve? The last I heard, they're considering uh, having very restricted crowds. I mean, I just walked past Forty Second Street recently, and I saw the, I saw the setup, 
but it's not clear to what degree they're going to allow uh, crowds to be in the area. I think it's we're very much, uh, here in New York anyway, we're very much playing things a day at a time. The, the schools recently, some school principals decided to close. There was not a system-wide closure. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of uncertainty here. Well, I'm going to see if I can squeeze in one more quote before we go to the uh, to the break. Uh, this is why if you have a 50-50 split Senate, you can have one person or two people just stop everything, and that is why people in our country should know that a 50-50 Senate sucks, and we can't get things done. <laughs> that's one of my favorite quotes of the year. It happened yeah, this that's week. true. Uh, is that I remember hearing it, but I don't remember who it was. Uh, yeah. Was, was that was that the Obama was that the uh, Biden press secretary? Saki? No, no, it would be oh. it'd be fun if it was. It was uh, Senator Macy Hirono, a uh, Hawaii oh. Democrat, oh. to CNN talking about the growing anger in Democratic ranks over uh, right. Manchin's refusal uh, to yeah. support the Build Back Better plan of uh, President Biden. And and I guess the question is, and we just have a couple of minutes here, but if Manchin were a Republican and went against the grain this way, would the GOP and or Trump go after him in the primary, and will the Democrats? In West Virginia, I don't see any chance of another Democrat pulling that off. I mean, I, in one sense, given the state of West Virginia... It's almost amazing that that there's a Democrat has won there at all. So I understand his position, but he's he's clearly this day rocking the boat in a serious way. Obviously, uh, I and you know I I think that Manchin represents the best in what was conceived as American democracy: to vote to conscience, not to be part of a of a gang of people fighting for. Um, uh, the more minority point of view, or for a special point of view, but for an independent point of view that represents what the American people want. They don't want people regimented into those positions. They want somebody that can think and have the acuity to uh, move, do the things that's best for the nation. Does anybody know I was when, when Manchin is up for re-election in West Virginia? I, 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 I don't know, and I, did, and I didn't think to look that up, Paul. Seth, what were you going to say? We got about oh, 45 I, I was going to say, I have, this, I have this fantasy that um, a set of uh, Manchin and a set of, of center-left uh, Democrats and a couple of the, the non-Trumpian uh, center-right Republicans get together and decide some logic, and then with that group, we can make logical policy based on the facts. Yeah, maybe so. That sounds good. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm talking about people like you know, you know, our, our dear friend from Alaska and Maine, and you know, the, the well, and uh, uh, and Meyer from here in Michigan. True, could yeah. make that. He's got a lot. He's got a lot of coverage about his role. There are yeah. a handful of Republican senators <clears throat> that I think have shown that they, they haven't drunk the Kool-Aid, and, and, and they're sensible, and I think if they aligned 
It's a, it's a great thought, Seth. We got we got a break here. We'll be right back. Brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a 
magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away And the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue our uh, weekly roundtable armchair politics with our regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Seth Radwell. Welcome back, everybody. Good to be here. By the way, Tom, uh, during the break, I looked up Joe Manchin. He re- he's up for tw- for election in 24. He, re- he last elected in 18. And what was interesting, in 18, he did have a primary opponent uh, as a Democrat, uh, a supporter of Bernie Sanders, and he won very handily in that primary election. So <clears throat> I wouldn't think it would be very easy to challenge him in West Virginia, on the, for, from the left at least, given that state. Well, maybe he'll... Um switch parties and and uh i i expect if trump plans to run in 24 he'll be looking for a vice presidential candidate <laughs> that was that's a, <laughs> that's a possibility yeah yeah but all all kidding aside i did i did mention it earlier that uh the first 100 days in 2021 were um really quite surprisingly packed full of huge items i mean you know it'd be impossible it's on uh, seth's seven described as the closest overthrow of power since the civil war the january 6th pro-trump rioters storming the u.s capitol on the day congress was voting to approve president joe biden's victory in the 2020 election um huge huge event and and a very strange way to start the year and then it just continued there were just these huge events facebook banning uh then president donald trump as well as twitter um google banned right-wing social media app parlor from its platform um former president donald trump became the first president to be impeached twice after the House charged him with inciting the Capitol insurrection, um, Joe Biden got inaugurated. Uh, Biden rejoins the Paris Climate Accord and the World Health Organization. Um, total number of global COVID-19 cases surpassed 100 million. Myanmar's <coughs> military staged a coup. Uh, Jeff Bezos stepped uh, oh wait a minute! Now I'm into February. All of that so far was just January. Wow! <laughs> Gee, wow is right. Uh, in yeah. in February, the Myanmar uh, <clears throat> military coup. Jeff Bezos uh, stepping down as uh, Amazon CEO. The Senate confirmed Pete Buttigieg as uh, Transportation Secretary, making him the U.S.'s first openly gay cabinet secretary. Uh, Russian opposition leader and vocal criti- critic of uh, President Vladimir Putin, Alexei Navalny, was sentenced to uh, three years in prison. 
Um, and and uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, <laughs> <laughs> giving Tom Brady his seventh Lombardi Trophy. It was a uh. it was a big story. Um, Senate voted to uh, acquit Trump. Uh, let's see, squeeze a couple more in here. Uh, oh, sad news from Hollywood: Kim Kardashian filing for divorce from Kanye West. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think I should have put that one on my top seven. Yeah, I think. Um, but but that here was, the list, yeah. But but this is huge, and we're only and we're still only into February. Uh, President Joe Biden approved a state of emergency declaration in Texas amid a devastating winter storm that resulted in rolling power cuts and oh, record low right. temperatures. Yeah. Remember that? Forgot almost yeah. forgot about that one. Yeah. The U.S. COVID death toll surpassed uh, 500,000. Um, oh, the, this was a weird one for me. Now we're into March. Um, Dr. Seuss. The estate of Dr. Seuss announced that six of the author's books will no longer be published oh, due to yeah. racist yeah. and offensive imagery. Um, That's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. Biden uh, signed a $1.9 trillion rescue package into law, uh, which started the clock ticking on uh, distribution of $1,400 stimulus checks to American uh, taxpayers. And... Um, on March 15th, Deb Haaland, I think I'm saying that right, is confirmed as Interior Secretary, making her the U.S.'s first Native American Cabinet Secretary. Uh, let's see, what else here? Um, th there are a number of other things. There was something like uh, 38 originally, but I'm, I'm cherry-picking some of these. Oh, this was uh, a, a very big story. Um... The trial against former Minnesota police officer Derek Chauvin in the killing of George oh, Floyd yeah. began. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the large cargo ship ever given got stuck in the Suez Canal, snarling <laughs> global trade. That's operations. right. That's right. Yeah. A car yeah. a car rammed into an outside barrier at the Capitol, resulting in the death of a Capitol police officer. And um, I was going to men mention uh, uh, Prince Philip passing away, but uh, but I skipped over a couple others because I I have some remembrances uh, coming up later in the show. But that's just uh, that's just just cherry picking some of the items that happened in the first 100 days of 2021. So um, it, it kind of makes one wonder if. Uh, as we if as we look back at 2021 if hindsight is 2020 <laughs> yeah and we thought 2021 was going to yeah. be a uh, a reprieve from 2020 and it looks like it's uh, as bad or or maybe even worse in some ways and anyway uh, go ahead go ahead henry and any comments uh, on those stories well here's something i want you to uh, clarify for me <clears throat> now president uh, trump was supposedly impeached twice. But I was reading the Constitution, and it said that once the president is impeached, he cannot serve for the office of trust. Uh, explain that to no, me. No, 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 no. He, he's got to be convicted. 
Impeachment. Oh, the Senate has to convict him. They yeah, have to yeah, convict yeah, him. Oh, the then he can. The, no, the House. No, the House, House impeaches. The House impeaches. The Senate convicts. Right. Right. And and uh, in fact, during that same hundred day period, the Senate did acquit Trump of those. Yes, I recall. That's charges. it's clarified now. Thank you. Um, yes. But. Uh, what what do you think, uh, Seth? I, I keep referring to Seth's seven. You've uh, put out a list of, of seven things that you think were top political stories of 2021. Well, I should I should probably uh, uh, point out that my, my list really is about what I think will be the stories that will have the, the most long-term effect. In other words, with a little bit of hindsight... Now that we're at the end of the year, what are this? What are the events and stories? There's no doubt there were so many. What really are the questions that will linger going forward? And that's why I, I pick those seven. And as you mentioned, I think one of them goes back to January 6th. And I think there are other ones which I'm happy to discuss if you'd like me to. Well, I definitely want to go through what some of them what some of them are, even if we don't have time to talk about each one at great length. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that we had overlap on January 6th. I don't think any looking back at 2021 uh, list is going to not include January 6th and the insurgents at the Capitol. Um, but, but let me just point out, I, I think one thing that's really interesting, Tom, is that Obviously, the event itself and, and the aftermath immediately following it was such a huge story. But the, the more information comes out and is dribbling out, it, it, you know, over the course of the last few months, it certainly appears, the evidence certainly appears that, that this was more coordinated than most Americans thought. Uh, and I'm talking about the former administration. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's become a bigger issue as, as we've learned more, it's, 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 from my perspective. It's become yeah. a bigger issue over time than I, than I thought on January 6th itself. Well, and I thought about I, that when I was putting this list together, Seth, you know, yeah. thinking about the, the ramp up to January 6th and the, um, the election hangover, all the stuff that was going on, you know, as we rolled into the 1st of January, the, the, the awkwardness of uh, the transition in... And, and all of that, and the disappointment people felt from, frankly, from the pandemic not being over yet. And, yeah. and so th th there was this, this pall over, uh, over the whole country before the insurgents even happened, which, you know, yeah. in some ways led to the insurgents. Yes, that's absolutely true. There's no question that the uncertainty and the unease amongst the American population because of the pandemic, along with all the other issues, was extremely high. But my point is that, and I, I think this is uh, something that, that Paul just echoed, you know, we're getting more information that shows that this was, there was really a coordinated plan here. Whether the former president directed it himself or whether the people around him, there was certainly a plan there were people in Congress that were in the loop. Uh, there were definitely, there's definitely been um, evidence of coordination. And I have personally, while going back to January, I was horrified by the events and very frightened. I, I think we're learning more and more. And the question I would ask, uh, we should ask ourselves is, 
how will this go down in the history books? What, what, what will this be remembered for? And I can't help but think about, about other rebellions in the history of our country, like Shays Rebellion and Whiskey Rebellion, etc. Yeah. 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 And the War of 1812, there was another yes. one. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> no, like I say, I, I mean, recall we are, we are known. I'm sorry, one last, one last thing I know. We sure. are, I think one of the symbols that we hold for the world, and I think Paul and Henry would agree with this, is that we're, we're known for the peaceful transition of power. It's an amazing thing, the government of the people, where we elect somebody and the one who loses leaves and the new one comes in. That has to be one of the symbols of the American experiment. That's right. One unusual thing is that I think this is the first president who lost an election who refused to concede and spent the next year talking about how he won the election and didn't show up for the inauguration. I mean, that that's really almost unheard of in American history. <laughs> and we talked uh, about that back at the beginning of the year, Paul. And who was who was the uh, um, lame duck president that you, you told me about that just, just sort of snuck out of town? Um, I think it may have been John Adams. John Adams. I think it was John Adams because he didn't go to jail. Yeah. I think yeah. I think I remember that conversation. I was on for that show. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that's one of my favorite stories from uh, or, or uh, conversations from the year was um, remembering that there was a president in the early days of the country who was just <laughs> so annoyed with the outcome of the election he didn't. Yeah, participate yeah there, there, there was no love lost between Adams and Jefferson. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and another thing on um, on Seth's list is uh, referring to the most aggressive voter restrictions in a decade. Um, do, do you want to set let, that let up me, a little bit, Seth? Yeah, let, let me set that up a little bit because I think it's fascinating, and I, I would love to hear what, what your opinion is on this. Twenty states this year passed new voting regulations under the auspices. The governors signed those under the auspices of election security. And, and I've looked at some of those bills, and, and indeed some of those bills might make voting more secure. But what amazes me is that in the discussion and analysis of those bills, nowhere do we, or very infrequently, do we see a discussion of the data that shows how big a problem election fraud is, number one, nor do we view them under the, the lens of history, which, which shows that, in fact, it is in voting regulations specifically that have been used in our history so much to, uh, to suppress vote. So, I mean, I think we, when, when, you're, when you're assessing what this is all about, these voting regulations, and 20 states have passed them, I think you've got to have a little bit of a historical perspective as well as you've got to be driven by the data. And so that's why I think this is a big story. Well, let me, let me ask this. In a country... And this is something that's occurred to me a couple times as I read stories about these different uh, regulations that are being enacted around the country and, and even here in Michigan. Um, it, there's this concern that somehow there are people who are not qualified to vote, illegal immigrants and, and uh, other groups, I suppose, in, in a country that prides itself on free and open elections, who, who cares if somebody else expresses an opinion? You know, well, what's, what's, what's wrong what with asking, to, 
what's what's wrong with well, asking everybody in the room whether they have property or ID or or what else? What do you think we should do next? Yes. You know, one of the core questions that I discuss in American Schism at great length in the third part of the book is what I call who gets a seat at the table. Who is us? So it's right. what I find fascinating about American history is that the story of our country, to some degree, has been about expanding that franchise, the voice, from white men with property to more people, more types of citizens. And yet we still struggle with that question of who gets a voice, who gets a seat at the table. Yeah, I'm just imagining a bunch of people sitting in a sports bar and the big game is on and, and somebody's just saying, you know, what do you think? You know, should we turn the TV channel to the big game? And, you know, does it matter who those people are or what team they're rooting for or, or anything? What's wrong with asking everybody, you know, what, what do you think? Should well, I, I, I will say this. I, I think there's an important economics point to be raised historically. So... When you read, you know, the, the great writers about the, the social contract, the idea that, you know, John Adams, we mentioned John Adams would be an advocate of this. The idea of that, that, that people who have invested more should have more of a voice. That was the original concept of why people with property had a vote. And so there, there's a, th a political theory in the social contract that goes way back to, before Locke and, and Rousseau that talks about you know, the, the, the notion of who gets the, the vote, who gets the voice, and who counts and at what proportion. So I, I think we, should, we, we need to at least acknowledge that there is always been this discussion about whose voice counts and do they count equally, et cetera. And, you, and in, in our day and age with Citizens United and money as such an impact on politics, it certainly is an important issue. Yeah, it's critical in many ways. Like I say, the, 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 I think the real danger is it's become such a, a bitterly partisan kind of thing that uh, clearly the part of the parties are, are passing these laws with the attempt to either keep some people out of the circle or, or invite other people in for their own partisan purposes. And uh, let's say there's been almost you know, very little evidence of any significant amount of a voter fraud this past year. I've, I've often argued it was the most honest election we've ever had after we've doubled and triple checked so many polls and with 60 some court challenges over the over the last, last year, all of which concluded there was essentially no significant amount of voter fraud. Um, and yet we, we have got more of those bills in the pipeline than we've ever had before. You know, this leads yeah. into another, uh, another item on um, Seth's seven is um, the erosion of the two-party political system. And we spent a lot of the year mm. talking about, um, well, the last couple of years, uh, about disruption in the GOP uh, because of the rise of Donald Trump and his impact mm -hmm. on the party. And we spent a lot of time focusing on the GOP, and now we find ourselves looking at the same kinds of breakdowns in the Democratic Party because of uh, Manchin and, and, is it Serena and, and others? Uh, so yeah. Cinnamon from Arizona. Cin yes, yeah. Cinnamon. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. I mean, of course, both with a two-party system, both parties are going to be Big Ten parties. They try to be, and they're going to have diverse groups within them. The, the real problem is they don't overlap at all. I mean, there was once a time when you had liberal Republicans and conservative Democrats, and there was some real overlap, and that really, did, ironically, well, it caused confusion within the parties. It caused parties to work together. But here there's almost no overlap at all uh, in, in, the, in the Congress and even in the state legislatures as well. Yes. Very destructive. I mean, I, m- my sense is that, and I make again the case in the book, that our, our current two-party system is broken. It's become, in some ways, a monopoly, which is very much controlled and organized around money and around lobbyists. And, and most of the, the purpose of this, this monopoly of the two parties, if you will, is more about staying in power than it is about solving public policy problems. Wasn't, didn't I, we have a quote from George Will this past year about... Um, uh, something, something to the effect of uh, the the largest political party in this country isn't the Republicans or the Democrats, but rather the Independents and Undecideds. Yes. Well, that's true. In fact, I've always argued that the, in so, in some ways the largest part. I think party it was George. I think it was George Will. I, th- I think it was George Well, and you might be right. It might have been about the, the non-voters. Um, well, I, I always used to argue in class, I said, if, if you drew a circle and said this is all the voters in the country, and then you cut the circle in half, in, in our elections, a little over half of us vote for president, and of those half, half go Democratic and half go Republican, but yeah. there's twice as many folks who didn't vote as voted for either the Democrat or the Republican in an average year. So that's, that's true. Let, uh, what I would love to ask you guys the, this question is, uh, what about, you know, in our federal politics, m- most of the time when there's a third-party candidate, the third-party candidate acts as a spoiler, letting, picking votes from one of the top two and letting, uh, letting somebody win. What about the notion of ranked-choice voting, where there could be multiple parties and you list your choices, one, two, three, four, five. So if your first choice doesn't get in the, get in the next round, you, your vote actually counts again. Your second choice gets your vote. And this way you can have multiple parties and multiple ideas without it being a spoiler. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't that tried in, was it Maine or, or New Hampshire this past year or so? Well, many, many local states have done this. We did this yeah, it was, a, well, it was a local election, I know. Or more, the correct, it was, wasn't it New York City? Was it New York City? Yes. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. I thought they were doing and something like that with uh, a gubernatorial uh, primary in um, California. Oh. I, now, I don't yeah, remember I that for, for sure, um, but it just seemed like uh, that, 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 like I remember something about, maybe it, maybe it was merely somebody advocating for it, but, but I thought they had maybe experimented with it. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question I would ask you, the listeners are, who benefits from having, from having this two-party lock on the system? Which I think is, as Paul or Henry pointed out, most Americans, more Americans declare themselves as independent. What's the benefit of having them control the dialogue? And I think it's, you know, I think you've got to, you end up going back to, there's a wonderful book, by the way, The Politics Industry by, by Catherine Gale and Michael Porter. And they argue that the industry is, is basically a, a monopoly because they control the money flow and all the lobbyists and, and the, the structure around the two parties to maintain their power. 
And I think it's not serving the people. Actually, it's the two-party system that prevents us from doing that. And I want to talk about this uh, a little bit more when we come back, but we have to take a short break here. Um, you're listening to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, and we'll have more right after this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner Program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. 
Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue with uh, our look back at 2021 on Armchair Politics here on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by uh, businessman and author Seth Radwell. Welcome back, everybody. Good to be here. Thank you. Yes. Nice to be back. And and we um, we were talking a little bit about um, the erosion of the two-party political system from Seth's seven uh, political top political stories of 2021. And um, I I wanted to point out that in nonpartisan races like the ones uh, like the ones we have for city council here in the city of Flint, in a way. It's accidentally kind of a ranked choice voting system because in the primary, the top two go on. It isn't picking one from one party and one from another party. It's just a group of people, and whoever comes in first and second goes on to the general. Right. Yes, I think, I think that's right, Tom, but let me just point one thing out. I agree with you that the notion of ranked choice voting to some degree is solved by the party primary system, but one of the problems is that in party primaries, often only the registered party members can vote. They're not always open. So that's yeah. why I think sometimes ranked choice voting is better because it's open to anyone who wants to vote. And let's see, um, moving on uh, with uh, Seth's seven, I've been calling it, which gets harder to say each time. I don't know why. Um, the international role of the U.S. in the post-Afghanistan era. And I just, I just want to tell a quick story. Um, I think it was for yesterday's show. I, uh, I was looking through uh, Mark Beardsley, who used to write for the Flint Journal and, and was an aide to Dale Kildee in uh, Washington many years ago, uh, used to do these regular essays for the show. And he had done one on Christmas, and I was looking for it. And as I was looking through, you know, the files of these, these old essays, these audio essays, there was one on Afghanistan and the aftermath from more than 10 years ago. And I haven't, and I haven't re-listened to it, but, but it was interesting when I saw this on the list, and I thought, God, that was a long time we were there. That's, yeah, that's true. Wow. It really was. By, by some definition, the, the, the longest war, I think. 
why why was our, why Steph? I'm going to ask you because it's your list. Um, <laughs> why was our exit so much messier than the Soviets when they yeah. left? Great question. Well, that's a complex question relating to the, the, the nature of, of free press and free speech and what it was like in, in 79 when the Soviets left. I, I think the point, though, is that the, the, beside the, the, the leaving being messy, and some have called it a disaster, the, que- the question of why we were there, what the purpose was over the 20 years, has gotten increasingly confusing. I mean, especially given that the original impetus was to, to root out bin Laden and the, and the, the perpetrators of, of, of 9-11. But I think the larger question is, what exactly is our role in the world um, going forward? If, if to some degree, if you, you, if you look at the 20th century, our, our role in the world was to, to protect and to sh- uh, the liberal open society against fascism and communism. That was the role that we played in terms of what, what uh, that struggle was all about. What is our role in the 21st century? There's certainly a struggle between uh, an open society, a democracy, if you will, and autocracy, which is proving to be the, the model that is more and more being, being used, whether it's Xi's China or Putin's Russia. And the question is, what, how do we think about our role in, in, this, in this new world? Yeah, I mean, the issue is, can we go out there and and really be a a nation builder? I mean, it's one thing to stop terrorism, but to what degree and and to what extent are we willing to try and you know build democracy in countries that have almost no no history of that? Exactly. I think that it. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Harry. No, you go ahead. Then you start off. Well, well, I just the last thing I was just going to say is it reminds me of. You know, when the, when the framers of the Constitution got together at the convention in the 18th century, they knew they were setting an example for the modern society. But I don't think they ever envisioned us going out and building other countries. The idea was to practice a democratic republic here at home as an example. And so, you know, if I, if I think about what, what's the reason why we've become a beacon of hope for the whole world over the last century, it's because of our example. Of, of a government of the people, of, of self-government. With all of our problems, we still have the best example of it in the history of, of the world. Uh, I think you're, you're right. People looked at the American democracy, and they admired it from all over the world. Whether you were Asian or whether you were South American, whether you were African American or whatever, people admired what they thought they saw in the United States of America. And they wanted to come here, and they did by the millions in the 16th, 17th, and 18th century. So um, we created a kind of a beacon for people who wanted the same kind of government. But uh, we had another thing that made us better, too, and that was we had the resources. A tremendous amount of water and trees and land and stuff like that. Well, there was a guest on the show recently... Henry and, and uh, Paul and Seth, uh, David Rundell, who uh, had yes. written, written a book, Vision or Mirage, Saudi Arabia at the Crossroads. And David um, was, uh, let's see, what, what did he, um, he spent 15 years 
working at the embassy in Riyadh. And mm. he was talking about, um, in his book, although it was primarily focused on Saudi Arabia and relations with the U.S., and we were, I think we were having this conversation around the time of the uh, anniversary of September 11th, um, and, and why Saudi Arabia wasn't, why, why we didn't go after them since 19, uh, something like 16 of the 19 alleged uh, attackers were Saudi citizens. Um, but one of the things that he says in his book is that he thinks we should be re redeploying our resources from the Middle East into Asia. He said he thinks that's where the work and, and um, future diplomacy and, and uh, efforts should be focused because of uh, the, the rising threats from China. Yeah. That, uh, I can see that. I can see the logic of that. I think, I think Asia is going to be keep, the forefront of the If we're going to keep playing geopolitical chess, <clears throat> But, you know, speaking of what our role, as Seth has asked, what is our role in the world today? <clears throat> How do we see ourselves? Uh, we don't have a role in the world. We used to, but we don't have one right now. Because... Well, I, I think... I'm sorry, finish your thought. Because we can't work together as a team. You know, you have to have solidarity in government and the will of the people. We used to have that. Even though we lived in a, um, a society that depressed people by how they looked, by skin color and stuff like that, it was still the best country in the world because it, 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 it had hope in the substance. When they wrote the Constitution, it did not say, all oh, white men were equal. It says, all oh, men were equal. Just think about that. So well, I, I think Henry made a good point, and so did Seth, is that really with the collapse of the Soviet Union almost 30 years ago by now, our our role wasn't quite clear. I mean, for the longest time from World War II beyond, and in some ways from 1917 beyond, our role was to oppose the Soviet Union. All of a sudden, there's no Soviet Union, and now right. where do we go? Right. You know? Right, exactly. And I think I, what I was referring to before is I think, and I think also Henry hit on this, our, the best role we can play is by being an example of a successful self-government and I would say also a success, we have to rebuild and ensure our meritocracy. In other words, Henry alluded to this, people came to this country because it was a beacon of hope where irrespective of your birth, if you weren't born noble, you could still be successful here with hard work. It was a meritocracy, and I think if we focus on improving our self-government model and our meritocracy, we will be a great example that people will emulate. We don't need to send troops across the world to do that. No, in fact, I think uh, probably uh, one, of the, one of the greatest contributions of the uh, JFK administration were the emissaries, including his brother Bobby and, and his wife Jacqueline, going around the country and, and, or going around the world, rather, and promoting democracy. You know, yeah, and, and pitching the, it, the, selling the, the it. Peace, the Peace Corps came out during that time as well. 
That yeah. was a different kind yeah. of Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, we have to... But, but they were promoting the, it without a gun. Yeah, exactly. Without the solidarity of the people in this country, we're no higher than, say... Um, <laughs> Are you saying, hey, uh, let me, let me, we have to go to break here, Henry, but are, are you saying that, um, that, a that fascist we don't, nation. We're just like a fascist nation. We don't have we don't, the same we, bragging rights we did back then? No, we don't have the same bragging rights until Democrats and Republicans and black and whites and people with money and all of that stuff come together on the same platform. We got, a, we got a break here, but we'll be back with the second half right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 